Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel back with Joel O'Connor. Who's back with us from vacation and Dennis Dake. Man, is there a lot going on this morning? The analysts have woken up from their slumber. A lot of ratings changes to discuss today. We also have news on uh, Boeing, more bad news for them. Uh, some interesting movers, Smile Direct Club moving this morning, Pier One Imports. Uh, Xerox got some funding for their takeover of HPQ. We'll talk all of that, but the theme of today's show is how it is essentially a repeat. Monday morning here is a repeat of Friday's session with uh, more weekend headlines of uh, hawkish war talk and uh, the stocks that we talked about on Friday are moving the same way this morning. So we'll talk about that. Our guest today, Craig Johnson, who is managing director at Piper Jaffray. He would join us at 8.35. In the meantime, Joel, how was your vacation? You're back with us. Uh, glad to be back here. A good vacation. Uh, read that whole book, the quant book. Oh, you read the you read the uh, the, yes. the Jim Simon's book. Yes, yep, I did, and uh, I can give you some comments on that later. But uh, excellent book, Triple D. I'm gonna have to get that over to you. You're gonna have to read it very soon. Uh, we're in the red here, 16.25 handles, uh, lower open. Have not seen that closing price. The closing price is 32.3550. That's gonna be a big number on the upside. I'll explain to you why in just in a second. Your pre-market low, 0875. That's two points away from your low on Friday. There's your major support on the downside. And uh, below that, maybe we'll get under 3,200. Your next support level under that is 3,192. Crude, like in the international turmoil, up 59 cents here at 63.64. Gold, nearing $1,600, up 26.80 at 1,579.20. 
Silver making its way towards 19, up 32.9 cents at 18.49. And uh, I think when I left, Bitcoin was at 7,500. Now the uh, Bitcoin futures are up $240 and $7,625. And we haven't had any hot potatoes. But Dennis, what what happened on Friday that I cannot remember happening in in the market, in the S&Ps technically, in months? Mm, we were down 30. We had uh, our weekly high and our weekly low on the same day on Friday. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. We knew it was big volatility. Yeah. You know, obviously, had a holiday trade before that, and the holiday trade ended, and the holiday trade is officially over here now. So volatility is back. And as traders, remember, volatility is our friend. So I smile. When we have more volatility, I simply make more money because there's more inefficiencies out there. And we know I like to trade inefficiencies. So I like the volatility. And, uh, boy, Dennis, in this book, too, I'm, I'm probably referring it to a lot this Did week. The type of volatility? Well, I taught Dennis, it was basically, I, I wondered if you had written a book when they talk about some of <laughs> Did he beat me to my book? <laughs> I, well, I, let's put it this way. I started reading it, and then like, I'm looking at it, and I looked in the index to see if your name was in there. <laughs> was it? No. I didn't get any love in the book. No. Uh, yeah. well, what's the name of the book again? Give the name of the book. The Man Who Solved the Markets. No, no that's not me. I haven't solved the markets yet. So. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I've heard good things about this book. Remember, we were talking about this when it came out a couple months ago there. So, yeah, I'm very excited. So get it over to me, Joel, when you can. Uh, we'll go from there. And Tell what, what about I think as well. And one of our uh, generous listeners, I still don't know who it is, uh, sent us the book and with a nice note. So thank you out there, whoever you are, send me a, send me a note. I'd like to- He might be in the chat right now, he or she. So he, we don't know if it's a he or she, we don't know who it is, but it was very- I, think, I thought they said who it was, but- Nah, I have something- An anonymous, an anonymous friend, yeah, but, anonymous uh, listener. All right, so let's uh, let's talk here. Do we yeah. go right to the to the new? Where, what's the biggest news? Should we do the, the defense, well, the war? Well, Joel, you were gone for so long that when you, you know, prior to you leaving, we it was all good. You were gone for so long. Like, in the time that you were gone, we're almost at war. <laughs> I'd say that in jest, but I mean, you were gone. You better for get that back long. here, Joel, and save the market. Yeah, get back here and, and save us from uh, going to war with, with, with Iran here because it's not looking good. So uh, there's no specific headline over the weekend for, for, for the reason why the market is being behaving the way it is this morning. It, it's, it, the way I can see it, it's, it's more about a uh, general uh, lack of de-escalation. So tensions are still high. Over the weekend, Trump talked about uh, if, if Iran retaliates, we're going to target their cultural sites. He talked about our military all weekend. So yeah. it's more of just a continued heightened escalation than there is any one specific catalyst, I think, for the reason why the market is sort of repeating the way it behaved on Friday. It's very eerily similar to how it was on Friday, where we were down significantly overnight. We got almost half the losses back by the time we started the show. And again, it's a repeat with oil trading up with uh, the financials taking a licking, with uh, the defense stocks rallying significantly here. Look at Lockheed Martin, look at General Dynamics, look at NOC, look at RTN. All th four of those stocks up 1.5%. Those algos are working their magic here this morning, Joel, because they're almost all identically yeah. up the same. Or Don't tell me pair trading doesn't work to a certain extent because they're all up exactly the same here this morning. 1.5% on each one. I mean, RTN, I think, was up 1.8%, but... Uh, interesting that these defense stocks continue 
their rally here. I mean, if we're going to war, this is the pure play. And you saw this Lockheed Martin two-day move here is turning into a three-day move. It's an impressive run. Uh, I'm sure it's at a new old all-time high i think all these stocks are uh, up uh we're trading up 726 uh we had a great day on friday let me see if i can get uh any of the i didn't give lhx any love either i should because i own that stock in my long-term portfolio but l3 harris is another play on war lhx oh la okay uh that's, yeah that's the old l3 slash harris combo there Okay, I have no quantitative proof, but these stocks are up quite a bit. They do, they're up on light volume, not halfway decent volume, but what I've seen in these stocks in the past is the big up moves sometimes are faded. That's already happened a little bit here in Lockheed Martin. 429.01. Uh, that got silly. I, right. That's somebody waking up at four in the morning, like, we're going to war. I got to buy Lockheed Martin in the market right now, even though there's no market orders at four in the morning. And they just take whatever offers there, and it's way too high. <laughs> okay. Liquidity right. is non existent at four in the morning. If you want to pay up 20 points for a stock, you can easily pay up 20 points for a stock. It's not always a good idea. Nope. Uh, Northrop Grumman, NOC, that's a little bit different. That's trading up 669. Now, that's bumping up right against the highs of the session. Uh, which is 385. So, yeah, I guess it does look like it has backed off a little bit. So, 385 marks your pre market high. You just ran up there in the last bracket to 384.89. So, I like 385 on the upside. And then, what was the uh, one you mentioned that you own? Uh, I have LHX. LHX. That's that's a, just another one of those classic, you know, long term investing works. I bought this during, just after the financial crisis. I, I think I paid $22 for that was L3 Harris or that was when, when it was just Harris Corp and then obviously got bought by L3 and now I'm up a thousand percent in this thing. So, I mean, sometimes long-term investing works, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, you know, you make a lot of money by just holding on. 217.31, uh, that's your all-time high. Now you have, so there, there's a still trading below its all-time high. Trading at 212.70, that's up 223. But uh, that one, I noticed that. I'll give that, I'll throw that 217.31. If you want to go a little bit closer, um, that was in September and October, you hit 212.43. So maybe a little, little room to run here up to an all time high in L3 Harris Technologies. Also moving up is gold and GLD trading up significantly again. So you think the defense stocks, you think war, you think oil, you also think gold. Gold moving up on Friday. Gold continuing that move here this morning. Silver following suit here, trading up 1720 at 1720, this SLV. So both big moves here in the gold stocks. Um, again, if you know you've got a potential for you know having heightened you know war here or potential war happening, I mean all these stocks are, are and gold is more of a direct play on that. So that's the direct uh, reason these things are going up here. So much for the eight-day rule, uh, because this is the ninth day in a row gold is traded higher. Nine days. Really? Later. Yeah. It's like yep. Ferris Bueller's day off. Yep. Nine times. Nine. That's nine. Nine days. times. And if you want to go a little bit farther, it's 10 to 12. So it's rallied over $100 since December 18th, uh, 15 90 that's your pre-market high. You got to think maybe, you know, see 1600 this week, a little bit of a magnet. Uh, we haven't been over, we haven't been near 1600 in a long time here. So 
Gold bugs are back. Uh, rolling front month contract, 1590, 1599.80 was your high in May of 13, 2013. So that's where you're at in the gold market. And if you like the laggard, man, maybe time to pick up some silver, even though that's outperforming today a little bit. Silver hasn't been over, well, it touched 20 last year, and it mm. also touched it in early 2017. But uh, silver, definitely the laggard here. I, I've been long silver in the long-term portfolio for a catch-up trade for years. It just never <laughs> seems to catch up. So, <laughs> But anyway, still in it, SLV. I think I'm in SLV from around $18, I'm guessing, somewhere in there, because I'm just slightly down it still. But I bought this. It's got to be five, six years ago, and it's just really done a hell of a lot of nothing in the last five years. I mean, could eventually, if, if silver gets over 20 bucks, that's where it would really become interesting. Back in 2016, we almost got up to that level, getting up to like 1971 if you're looking at the SLV. But really, silver and gold, um, you know, and you can say, yeah, well, gold's done okay here in the last five years because we're down 100, we're 145, but we have not kept up with the market. And gold continues, you know, as a long-term investment, I just don't think gold performs nearly as well. There's no cash flows. There's anything like that. It's just the precious metal. So I always say, you know, I like the stocks better than gold and I have very little gold exposure. I know some people think, oh, it's insurance on your portfolio. And yes, it feels pretty good to own some gold on a day like this. But when the market just keeps going up, 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 up over the course of the last decade and your gold kind of goes nowhere, silver, the same thing, it really didn't help your portfolio, at least not in the last decade. I have to, I have to agree with you on that one. So jumping over into individual stock news, there is a lot of analyst action here. We can go there or we can go into more Boeing headlines if you want. Want to talk Boeing? Sure. Let's talk Boeing. Uh, let's do there, it. There's a few headlines this morning from Boeing. Uh, so the first, uh, first was a Boeing internal investigation reveals that there is uh, more design flaws in uh, the 737 MAX aircraft. This was stemming from a, uh, a New York Times report yesterday. Uh, as a result of that, Boeing is considering raising fresh funding uh, to counteract the financial strain That's of scary. this 737 MAX crisis. And on top of that, uh, reportedly Boeing's M&A is said to be under internal scrutiny. So I'm just going to say the line in the sand for all the by the dippers in Boeing is 320. It absolutely positively cannot go through 320 because if you lose 320, you're going to be under 300 bucks, I think. So if you're trying to play it on the dip here again, which maybe, you know, we've played this dip too many times. We, we tried it a few days ago and it worked. Now you're looking, you're back down here again. It just cannot seem to get away from this area. Even before when Joel went away, we were talking about the 320 level and we bounced out of there. And I think Joel gave you a good number and said 340 and that's where it stalled out. Uh, I'm going to say the same thing. Between 320 and 340, we are still range bound. Above 340, it gets interesting. Below 320, it also gets interesting, but from a bearish perspective. So uh, I guess you keep playing the range until it doesn't work anymore. But below 320, I'd be very nervous to be long. I was talking with Spencer about that. That has to be like the support level of, of the year. It's in huge. a stock. It really, I mean, go out to the monthlies and look yeah, at it. Yeah, exactly. It, look, and, and if you look, go out to the monthlies, it's kind of a scary chart. Look at this, Joe. Go way out to the, you know, like go out and look I, I like a long that. term. You can kind of see a head and shoulders. Not that we're big pattern traders. I always say that whenever I talk a pattern because I really don't believe in them. But I look at this and like you can see the whole left shoulder. 
You, yep. you see what I'm looking at in 2018. Oh, yeah. yep. And then you see the big head up at the beginning of 2019 when we had the spike up to 445. Now you're forming that nice right shoulder between the 320 and 380. I mean, fresh new capital raise doesn't sound great to me. I, I love this idea below 320. I'm not going to go short if it's above 320 because I think the bulls still have a case. Below 320, I think it sets up very well from the short side. So interested in this below 320. Oh, I mean, as a short, you got You got to figure that. I mean, they're gonna shake the people on it. I mean, like, let's and say, that's it too. You know, yeah. do you just short at 319 and say, okay, now we're off, or is it a little shake and then you know they take it back up there again? One thing I will say is when you are playing breakdowns. Same way, exact same as breakouts. You want them to stay broken down. So if it goes down to 318 and then all of a sudden it's back at 325, well, that's not good news. You want to see this thing if it breaks down through 320. I'm not saying that's going to happen today. I don't think it's a long ways away from there. But no, you know, it's it, not. it could. It's, it, it could. I mean, it's we're just setting up play. scenario analysis. Yep. Yep. I would say there's a triple whammy here in this stock. And I, I mean, the first thing is like that's the whole the whole thing with the 737 Max. I mean, it's went from bad to worse, right? I mean, besides people losing their lives and the way things have happened with the investigations and the disclosures that come out, that's number one. Number two, you got rid of your CEO, okay? That's not good. And now you're talking about raising cash. The raising cash is my red flag. Oh, That sounds scary because well, you, know you don't want to have to come out and do an equity offering or something because that automatically brings the stock price lower. So maybe they're going to do it through debt. You know, maybe they're going to do some different you know, ways of doing that. But it's never good when you have to raise cash. And we know this was a huge, you know, this is a huge portion of the revenue that is gone. So if they, are, if, if they don't want to cut the dividend, they're going to maybe have to figure out some other ways until they get that revenue source back. So is this a temporary thing? Are they going to get that plane back in the air eventually? Maybe. But it keeps coming out with more problems. So it's never going to get in the air until they know it's confident that's not going to crash. So I think until we get some of this more enlightened in, uh, in what's going to be happening with the Max, it's hard to be an investor here because there's a lot of unknown still. And uh, their M&A, Spencer, I don't know if you already said this, this the, uh, the M&A said to be under internal scrutiny. So that, I mean, there's a, I said a triple whammy. There's a, a quadruple whammy. Um, also, just when you talk, when the company's talking about raising cash, they need cash. What would be an easy way for them to, to raise some cash? Well, in, in Bono's case, they're talking about raising debt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they don't want to dilute their shareholders. So about, it's probably going to be What debt. about cutting the dividend? Well, that was, well, I think that's why they would be raising cash so they don't have to cut yeah. the dividend. Because okay. they've said before, and, and I believe it was on Mad Money. That would piss off the shareholders. I don't think they, they don't want to cut the dividend. Right so I think that's why they're looking at probably raising the debt. But I mean, now you're in a situation where you need to raise money. Those, uh, the, the fixed income people aren't that loving to people who yeah, need money in a hurry. So it might not be at the best. You know, maybe there's a convertible option. If there's a convertible option in there, then the stock gets hit too. So basically, usually if you're doing debt raises, if it's straight up debt, it doesn't influence the equity nearly as much as if there's a convertible attached to it. If they put a convertible attached to it, that's almost seen as like an equity offering to, uh, at least in this market, it has been lately, and you see the stock get hit. So we'll have to watch, but it looks like they are going to have to raise some cash, especially if they're talking about it. If there is a convertible option on some of that debt, be careful with the equity because it could stock could get hit significantly on that. And if you're if you're if you're raising money to service your dividend and you have a decline, declining cash flow, I mean that that doesn't 
that just doesn't sound good at all. And, and, and nothing sounds real good right now. But with that being said, we just painted a lot of bearish scenario. <laughs> I can't argue. If you're coming in and buying in here today, you have an out. There's a clear out at 320. You're risking yourself nine bucks. That's your out. So I'm not going to argue. And I've said this the last couple of times, but now in the 320s, and you know, I even played it once. I mean, we, we've been looking at that level. It's been huge. It's worked a few times. So, you know, it could work again. And you've also got, you know, this situation where the macro environment's helpful to Boeing because Boeing is usually perceived as a beneficiary of war. You know, they make planes. So you do see that sometimes that Boeing trade actually moves up, not as much as the pure plays like the Lockheed Martins, but this is thought of and often is, and I think that's a reason it rallied on Friday because it was weak on Friday, same story, and then actually ended up closing green because some people do perceive this as a, as, as a play on war. So, you know, there's that consideration as well. But for the most part here, there's so many issues here. That's why I'm not going to be a long-term investor in this, at least not right now. But if you're coming and you're buying it, you're out as 320. I would not want to be long this thing below 320. So right now I'm kind of hands off until this thing gets below 320. And then I'm going to get interested from the short side. All right. All right. That's, uh, that's our Boeing, our Boeing talk for today. Definitely a story stock in 2019. And, uh, going to be a story stock in 2020 for sure. Let's go, let's go back to a stock we discussed uh, last week. Uh, for, we're just doing a deja vu of Friday's show here. And uh, Casava Sciences, SAVA. We discussed this last week. Uh, Kickstarted thanks to some insider buying uh, dating back to two weeks ago. And it just has not This stopped. might be the worst 10% I've ever made in my life. <laughs> I bought this thing on like day two. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was in the one handle or the two handle. I believe it was in the $2 handle because it came out after hours and there was another significant buy. I think I bought it like $2.25 or $2.30. And later that day or later that night, I think I sold it like $2.75. So, you know, $2.30 to $2.75, you make like 15% of your money. Like that's a pretty good move. That next day when it opened, it went to $4. And it meandered for a few days, and then it went up to 5 and then to 6 and then to 7 and then to 8 9 10 11 It's almost $10.80. It's 10 days later. This thing goes up a buck every day. It was a $2 stock. It's, 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 it's a 500% in a week and a half. It's going to end badly. It's, I don't think it's going on. But who knows where? I mean, I'm not coming in and shorting this thing because we've seen these things just get silly sometimes. I don't know if it's a squeeze or, you know, insider buys can push prices higher. I don't know if I've ever seen them push it like this. So anyways, like I said, I was long this thing at 230. I thought I made a pretty good trade selling at 270 and 280. Apparently the scalper blood cost me on this one. FIFO problems for me again. You want to hear something funny? Let's see here. Not funny, but Thursday, January 2nd. Okay. Well, it, was that the... Insider buy, it, did that come out earlier? Was there a couple insider yes, buys? There's yeah. been a couple times. There's, oh, okay. there's more than one. Because I'm looking at one and I've just, because you When was the about, first one? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to find here. There's been a few. It was end of December. It, here, I'll find it for you. Uh, there was some insider buying. I'm trying to go find I'm it looking too. on it too. Actually, it was like, it was like uh, yeah, it was like December I if see, this is I, I if see, it's December twenty seventh, is it the twenty seventh? No, no, no I, further. See, I see some on the nineteenth. I see some on the I, here. I found the headline that I bought it on thirty first. I bought on the twentieth, the Friday the twentieth, because the two twenty. You know, I, I remember seeing that. I'm pretty sure, and it was two insider buys. You can see them back to back with this, where he actually had a director buy four hundred twenty three thousand shares. I remember saying that's significant, 
And I remember buying, I think I paid like 230 or 235 that night and it had closed at like 220. And I was like, that can drive it. I figured that could drive it, you know, up 20, 30 cents, maybe 40 cents. I didn't think it's going to drive it dollars. But then, you know, you had this, and then the CEO was just a few minutes after that. But then the next like more, or the two days after that, you had more insider buying, I believe. And then, um, so we've had a few different instances. Yeah, so back to Thursday, December 26th, yeah. CEO buys more shares. But we're talking about like, you're not $2 talking stock. About, you're talking about 10,000 shares, like $4.50. Exactly. So, so sometimes they just get silly. I mean, the, the first original buy was significant. The first one was a significant one because you had the director come in and they bought, you know, we're going back to the 19th was the first one, actually. And that's before I was playing it. Uh, 76,000 shares of buck 86. Okay, that's fairly significant. They're putting that's a couple hundred grand. That, that's a good chunk. But then the big one was the 423,000 at 220. You're talking about almost a million bucks. So that's, that's a significant buy. But when you get this insider buy and people citing it and they put $40,000 into it, it's ridiculous. I mean, 40,000 bucks, what's that for a CEO? It's nothing. <laughs> they were trading up because the CEO bought $40,000, like on Friday, December 27th, because the CEO bought another $40,000 worth. I mean, every CEO should be going and buying $40,000 worth if it's going to make their stock pop 200%. Well, there was more on the 31st also. Yeah, but again, it's 100,000 shares, so that's more. That's, that's significant. So you, you are seeing a, it's the trend of insider buys that is really driving. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe they've figured out a good way to move their stock, I guess. But I mean, if it's – but overall, in the scheme of things, maybe if you add everything up, is it $10 million maybe? Not even, Joel. Not maybe, even? maybe $2 million worth. And what is the market cap of this yeah. thing went up? So this is oh a good point God. you're making here too. What is the market cap? What was it? Let's go look. So they maybe put about 3 million bucks, maybe 4 million. We'll give them a little bit okay. extra. I didn't add it all up. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt and say they've bought about $4 million insider's worth. The stock itself has went from, it's worth 166 million as of Friday. So, you know, and it's up, you know, 500%. So you can just see it's put on like, Way over a hundred million. So four million dollars worth of insider buys have added over a hundred million dollars to the market cap of this thing. Crazy, <laughs> crazy town. Anyways, this all ends badly, in my opinion. This stock, when I look at it six months from now, it's going to be back under two dollars. Not knowing the fundamentals of it. So if there's fun, how long do they have to hold? Different. I mean, can they dump it now if they want it? I don't. Know. I don't. I probably. Yeah, that would be interesting, guy. Trading up. This a isn't buck. like locked up stock. Now, when the open market, they're just trading their stock. I mean, I probably can do it. All right, you got a high insider got... buys. The point we, we did a lesson on this a couple days ago on the pro, they can move stocks sometimes. They don't like on Facebook and they don't move the big maybe stocks. you, it's maybe... just little crap they move. Wow, I, 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 don't, just... I don't mean to call you guys craps, guys, but I'm saying these little stocks. I shouldn't use the word crap, I'll probably get in trouble for saying that. These little stocks that's yeah. what can really move really big time on the insider buys or a stock that's been out of favor. You know, we've seen before where stocks been beat up, beat up, beat up, and now all of a sudden you get like a CEO coming to buy a million bucks worth. That can be a vote of confidence. We even saw it in GE. We saw it in GE once as well. So and it's a vote of confidence. But on these little stocks, there's people that follow them. There's algos that follow them. That insider buying. You know, they just buy, and it's just forty thousand dollars. Like it's not like. Did you guys? Uh, did you guys also check? You're maybe missing one other factor here. Did you guys check the short interest last week? Oh, probably. I didn't check it, but yeah. I bet you there's some a squeeze here going on. Let's go see. Yep. Oh, yep. I got. I got only fourteen percent. What do you have it at, Spencer? It, it's hard because these things are moving. They're penny stocks, and there's people covering. What's the borrow on it now? Can you buy? Can you? Uh, can you get a, a locate on, on it? Let's go see. 
I'll do it right now. I'll just look at it technically, and uh, what I will tell you is you haven't taken out Friday's high. Friday's high was 10.95. You settled off at 9.65, so use 10.95 as a target. The stock, just technically speaking, had troubles in the upper $10 handle back in May and June of 2018. So uh, clear no 11, get into 11. 12.80 is your next monthly high. Uh, I have no bore on this. So I couldn't really? locate. I have an outside broker that I can go look at too. That was, but internally, I have no locate on this. Hmm. So it might not be an easy borrow. If anybody else can get a borrow on it, let me know. I have a couple sources, but I'm not going to go bounce all over. Uh, Stockhands stock made a good, uh, uh, a good thing. He said he, he doesn't see any news regarding new trials, drugs, et cetera. You know, because if it's a science stock, I'm, I'm assuming that. Sometimes that can be. I'm pretty sure, and me and Spencer talked about this on Friday when you were away. I'm pretty sure it's all just driven by insider buying. Okay. And now you got a squeeze going on. you got people excited. Oh, yeah. This is going to be the next big thing. Well, on these small ones, a lot of times these things, we've talked about it before, a lot of times these things end badly. So don't get caught at the end of it. Um, you know, and we've talked about this with Beyond Me. When Beyond Me was going over 200, we're like, it's a nice squeeze right now. There's been some nice money made from the long side, but don't get stuck. It's like a hot potato. When it ends, it's going to end badly. You know, same thing, you know, when everybody was jumping on that, what was that pot stock, the, 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 the drink one, Bev. Everybody's popping on that. Remember, we were all talking 8 $9, and everybody's all excited. And I said on the show when this thing was $9, I said, when I look at this six months from now, I think it's going to be under 2 well, I was wrong. It took a year, but it's eventually under two. So I got the time wrong. You're wrong. But, I, mean, I mean, these things, this is the exact same thing. This NBEV chart, take a look at it. I believe this is what SAVA will look like again as well. So, you know, these are great trades. They well, can squeeze them. Mind. You know, I don't mind you guys trading them from the long side. Just don't get stuck <laughs> with them. Don't put them in your long-term investment account and forget about them. Because more often than not, now, nothing's 100%, but more often than not, these things come back down to earth with a crash. Dennis, did you make? Oh, I'm sorry, Spencer. No, yeah, something, to, something to keep in mind. Not quite the same as InBev, is you know this company actually has uh, you know a drug, right? But the, <laughs> I, according to Biofarm Catalyst, which is a great great website you should use for for uh, this sort of info, they have one drug in their pipeline. It's an Alzheimer's drug. They're expecting to release data sometime this year. Phase two B mm. data is due now this they, year for their okay. al, for their Alzheimer's drug. So keep that on your radar. It's not quite that's for this in this company. Yeah. It's not quite uh, and that can affect everything. Right. So and again, I I'm saying this from a technical basis. I do not follow the fundamentals of this company whatsoever. Um, I was trading it last week on the insider buys too. Obviously now I feel it's a little bit lofty, but you know what? If you get insider buys after hours, it probably goes up again. Why not? I mean, so you got to watch those Edgar, you watch those SEC finals. Watch me yes. pro. What kind of call did you make on LW on uh, Friday? I here? think it was a bad call. No, right. it's a good call. I don't know. Somebody said good call, but I thought I made a bad call because I, I said I, I, I think I, I can't. I, we I, make I, so many calls on the show, I, and if I don't I thought, trade, I, I don't thought you said I thought you said hands off. I think I no. I, I don't think I was I, bullish. This I don't remember. I don't think I was bullish. This I think I said it gets interesting if it gets above eighty eight, but I wasn't that confident or above those highs. But it did. It broke out and ran. So I can't remember what I said on Friday on the stock. It's a stock that I don't actively trade, although I'm in it right now. So I'm going to just hold my comments there. <laughs> okay. Stock I don't actively trade, but I had an overnight position in it. So They make frozen French fries, sweet potato pies, diced potatoes, mashed potatoes, frozen hash browns. And I don't think the chips are frozen, but uh, 
big into the spuds here on this one on Lamb Western. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, S&P still down 17 and a half handles at 32.18. Just kind of hanging out mid-range here, trying to, t- trying to mount a rally. Uh, Spencer, what else uh, where uh, are we going? Let's next? go to the ratings. There's two big notes today on the financials. Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo are both out on financial stocks this morning. I'll just read you from the Goldman Sachs sure. note here first. Uh, Goldman Sachs is upgrading State Street to buy. They're maintaining their buy on Citigroup and raising their price target uh, by a couple bucks. And then on the downside, they're downgrading U.S. Bank, Virtue Financial, and M&T Bank, uh, U.S. Uh, Bank Corp is downgraded to sell. The other two are downgraded to, to neutral. So an in, in upgrade to State Street, downgrade to USB, Virtue, and M&T. That's from Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. And I'll just read you from the Wells Fargo note as well. Wells, Wells Fargo is has a, doing a lot this morning. They are – let me get all these here. So they're downgrading – Can I, no, I, I ask I, one I'm, question? I'm not, Virtue? Yeah. Gets it gets thrown in with uh, Citigroup and State Street, Virtue Financial. Well, it's a it's a pretty all encompassing note. There are other stocks I didn't I didn't didn't mention. I didn't mention their trading company, completely different business than all the other banks. Right, but I didn't mention their their initiation of Bill.com. Right, it's a it's a pretty all encompassing. It's a pretty all encompassing note. Uh, And then on Wells Fargo, uh, a, a bunch of smaller firms mentioned here, but they are downgrading. U.S. Bank Corp as well to underweight, Comerica to underweight, Key Corp to underweight, um, Royal Dutch Shell uh, to equal weight, and Travelers to underweight. Just a ton those of are the biggest wow, ones. There, there are more, but those are like the big Even ones. Even these notes here. Apple catches a downgrade here today, but I don't get this. So Apple from Needham goes from a strong buy to a buy. So apparently that's a downgrade. Yeah. But they're raising the price target from 280 to 350. Yeah, go figure. I cannot understand this note. Is this bullish note or bearish note? I have no idea. And I think the street doesn't know either because they're completely ignoring it. I mean, Apple's down 0.98%, which you might expect to be down that much because the Qs are down 0.71. The beta's a little higher right now. So it's kind of just moving with the market. But they go from a strong buy to a buy. So whatever that means, that's just silliness that they have ratings like that. Sorry, Needham, but you need to change that. Um, and then they raise the price target from 280 to 350. So it sounds bullish to me, but apparently it's a downgrade because they're going from strong buy to buy. Weird. I would say we might be able to, uh, I don't know if we'll be able to do it live, but I've been in contact with this Needham analyst, uh, sent her an email, Laura Martin. She's out on the West. I'm not sure. And it's probably not the analyst's fault. If Needham does them that way, they do them that way. All right, but you need them themselves should, you know, I I don't get like, come on. Okay. Even the conviction buy and the buy, if you're putting a buy on it, put a buy on it. I think ratings, in my opinion, should be buy, neutral, and sell. And you never initiate in a neutral because if you can't come out and say something good or bad about the stock, don't say anything at all. It's just useless to me. So when these people come and initiate at neutral, why even bother? Initiate a buy, initiate a sell. If you want to downgrade to neutral or upgrade it to neutral, I get that. But I think it should be buy, neutral, and sell when you got these strong buys or conviction buys. And some people want to say overweight, and then they want to say, you know, it's all just gets confusing. And this is a classic example. We go from strong buy to buy, and we raise our price target from 280 to 350. I don't know if the analyst is bullish or bearish. You know what we need to do? And we will be the first people on the street to do it. We can have a conviction short list. 
No, those are already. There's they, conviction they shortlist yeah. too. Just yeah. is there? You don't. I see a lot of people it, actually say short though. I don't. I don't. I can't tell you who has them, but the, those there are. There's a lot of analysts that come out and say short. Gordon Johnson has a short. Didn't he put a short on ACB with price target zero? All of his, all right. his shorts are conviction shorts, I think. Yeah, <laughs> he's convicted. If there's anybody convicted, <laughs> it's Gordon Johnson. He's convicted. That's why I respect him, though. He comes out and he gives his opinion, and yeah. it's always in colorful and interesting. Sometimes a little extreme, but you know what? She he makes some good calls sometimes, too. Yep. Right. I like Gordon Johnson because he says what he thinks. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. Johnson. There's anything. no sugarcoating. There's no conflicts of interest there. He says exactly what he thinks. ACB's going to zero. He says it. That's what he thinks. He says what so he thinks. Good he, for Gordon. Thinks what if he you're listening, good job, Gordon. All right. Let's pivot here to our, our guest. I want to bring him on right now. Craig Johnson. He is a managing director of technical market strategist at Piper Jaffrey. Uh, Craig, good morning. Good morning, and uh, got to make one slight correction. Uh, as of this morning, we're now Piper Sandler, as oh. uh, that uh, acquisition has now been uh, closed and completed. Oh, wow. All right. Congratulations. I didn't Thanks. see that come through the newswires, or if I did, I just missed it. Uh, so. Oh, no worries. Hey, can I jump in on this conversation about ratings? Like, sure. oh, sorry, I know. We're going to the analyst on. We've been pretty mean. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I just think it should be simpler. I'm arguing for simplicity. Hey, listen, I love simplicity, too. And, and something to say this, the beautiful thing about technical research and strategy work is that we get to say what the charts say, period. And that's the beautiful thing about what we're doing here at Piper Sandler is in the technical research department, I'm just here for performance. That's all I'm here for. And I'm looking to find those stocks that look actionable, that look like they're at inflection points, and you go from there. Now, Coming back to the fundamental folks, and I got to defend them a little bit here, right? Just from the fact of you've got to you've got to manage a lot of different things. You've got to manage relationships with companies. You've got to manage a lot of different things. So, unfortunately, the rating systems is uh, is a little challenge across the street for everybody from that perspective. But uh, that's the beautiful part about technical research. So, just trying to differentiate between the two. I mean, that is the issue. It's the conflicts of interest from a lot of, you know, brokers there that they obviously, you know, have to. And that's why we have this bias to the buy side for the most part uh, from, from most analyst firms because of those conflicts of interest. So it's tough to come out, you know, you've underwritten a stock or you can't really very well just come out with a sell on it a week later because why you underwrite it then? So well, I mean, it, even, even from an underwriting perspective, let's just step back and go further. Yeah. You need access to management. And if you've got a, a neutral or an underweight rating on a stock, you know, the, the problem comes back from more of the companies than it comes back from anything else. The companies won't spend a lot of time with you. So the problem has got to be fixed across the system. And that's what I was arguing for is the problems to get fixed across the system here. So, but, you know, it is a hard job. Analysts have a very tough job because obviously they're under scrutiny. They're called out probably more often than they're wrong than they're right. So it's a difficult job that you guys got there. So we give you props for, you know, doing that difficult job. I'd love it if it could get more simple, but, you know, we do appreciate it. We cannot argue you guys move stocks. So, you know, when Piper comes out and upgrades or downgrades something, it's market, you know, there's a, you know obviously impactful event there from those upgrades and downgrades. And, and those opinions are valued across the street. So tell us what you're looking at. So what I've been looking at, and I wrote up in our piece this morning, is, you know, geopolitical pressures. 
Um, I, the market is uh, obviously going to have a week open. It was weak on Friday. But at the end of the day, I think this is more or less just an excuse. I mean, the stock market has had a very nice return last year. But putting it into perspective, you're still up only about 6% from where you were in the highs of January of 18. So, you know, markets had a nice move, but it's not as strong and as, as big of a year as what people had thought from in 2019 because you're coming off of a very low watermark level uh, at the, in, in, in December of 2018. But what I'm looking at is I'm looking at the fact that the market has worked, the breadth of the market is improving, uh, I heard a lot of downgrades for financials. I, I, I find in our work, our, our total return relative strength work, the financials are starting to pick up in terms of performance. The industrials are working. The breadth of this market is getting better. And even if we get some sort of short-term uh, you know, pullbacks in this tape, I think they're going to be bought. And that's what I'm thinking about. And let me add one other piece, the energy sector. Every single portfolio manager that I've had conversations with has basically said, why even bother with energy? It's about four and change percent of the S&P 500. It doesn't matter. I don't care. I'm not going to be there. I think there is so much negativity toward the energy space. And now you're watching oil moving higher on this increased conflict in the Middle East now. And at some point in time, whether it's 5% to 8%, there's going to have to be a lot of money that's going to have to come back into work. And you start looking at the charts, whether it's Diamondback or Fang at an inflection point or ConocoPhillips, there's going to be an opportunity for these energy names to work and everybody's written them off. That's a good point. I mean, the, the trade is crowded to not wanting to own these things or even to the short side on some of these energy names. So it is a good point that you're making there. And they have showed life in the last couple of months, even before we got into this whole war thing. I mean, really, you know, since October, energy has performed very, very well. So the question is, is this just, you know, a bounce here in an overall bearish market still for energy? Or is this the turn and the start of something new? Well, you know, I go through and I just start looking at some of the best performing, um, you know, groups inside of kind of the deep industry group work that we do. And I'll just say this. If I look at the offshore drillers, which people are like, really, offshore drillers? Do you realize that over the last month, that particular group is up 28%? That's I mean, that's you can't ignore huge these things. Move, huge move. Uh Oil uh, drilling land up 13% over the last month. So out of the top kind of 10 performing groups, uh, more than half of them are energy related. And again, it's a new year. And I understand why PMs didn't want to buy them in Q4 of last year as they were trying to get their year done, bank a good performance numbers that they've had. Why take the risk of buying an energy company? But now it's a new year. You got 12 months to put up your record. And uh, I think now is where they'll put a little bit more risk, uh, take a little bit more risk and think about buying some of these energy names. And do I think it's a bounce? Um, I think there's probably more to it than just a bounce. I don't think these political issues are going to quietly just go away or fade away over the next 30, 60 or 90 days. I think this is a escalation that's probably going to have a little bit more legs to it. And hence, I think the energy sector is... Uh, probably give you a spot that's going to surprise a lot of PMs in Q1 and probably Q2. We're on the line with Craig Johnson, Managing Director, Technical Market Strategist at Piper Sandler. 
Uh, Craig, what? Uh, just speaking of these um, these oil stocks too. I mean, you had a big move in that you know the value sector. So do they kind of you know think they'll kind of uh, attract some attention too as a as a value play here in uh, the market? Perhaps more volatility in two thousand twenty. I, I definitely think that uh, you know the market in terms of growth versus value. It's been kind of a mixed trend. What I always like to look at is a simple ratio chart between growth versus value. And it's not as simple to say that growth is going to be, you know, running away the way it had been over the last couple of years. I think you're going to have an opportunity for these value names to work. And let me just kind of put this into perspective. I think interest rates are probably going to work their way higher throughout the year. In fact, I put in our uh, outlook piece for 2020, I think you're going to be somewhere around 215 to 235. Under that kind of scenario, I have to think that the financial sector, the regional banks, the small regional banks, and all these other areas, which are definitely more in the value camp, are probably going to be picking up in performance as the 2 to 10 spread probably widens out a bit. And hence, the value names comprise, or I should say the financials comprise a lot of these uh, value indexes at this point in time. And hence, I think you're going to see strong performance in the value names probably through the first half of 2020. Looking at, uh, you know, the, the geopolitical situation here, uh, trade war with China, that's kind of on the back burner now because we're maybe going to an actual war with Iran. Um, also, you have the specter of what interest rates are going to be doing this year. And I, I, t- I tend to agree with you, maybe a creep higher, maybe not as much as you think, but uh, also, 2020 we're moving into an election here election year uh any uh any correlations or any discussion of regarding the election year cycles well when i go back and i look at elections and there's a lot of questions there so i'll just dive into the election part of it first but you know during election years with a republican president as the incumbent the index has generated an average return of about 10 and a quarter percent about 75% of the time. And yes, your sample size is not huge there, but I would note that during the last 119 years, the index has generated a uh, positive return of about 7.38%. So my point is, is that I think the election years, numbers have historically suggested performance is better than a lot of people think coming into the election year. Now, coming into your other questions about Middle East volatility, those pieces, Again, I'm going to come back and just focus on what we do know today, which is we're at a 3.5% uh, unemployment rate. The economy seems to be firing um, and, and doing well at this point in time. Um, it seems like we've got stocks that are working. We're not that far off of all-time new highs for the market. Yeah, we're going to probably get some shorter-term volatility here with what's happening in the Middle East. But ultimately, the backdrop for equities is, is certainly looks pretty good at this point in time. So, Craig, uh, what else is on your radar for the year besides potentially energy here? What what other sectors are, are you watching for, I guess, on, on the upside or, or, or downside? Well, other sectors that we're looking at inside of our work include, obviously, technology. So at this point in time, we are uh, overweight technology. We are also overweight consumer cyclicals, and we've been overweight industrials, those three. And 
the underweights for us have been uh, basic materials, communication media, and has been energy. We got to go back and rethink that though. So given what you're seeing happening with oil prices and everything else. So we'll have some changes perhaps coming up in the future. What else are we thinking about? Uh, I'm thinking about biotech too. I'm thinking about how I'm looking at these biotech names starting to turn higher on the charts. And as you go through and you just start looking throughout, um, you know, things like Vertex, VRTX, you start looking at some of these names and you can start seeing these bigger tech uh, biotech stocks really starting to work. They've been out of favor, which, again, feels a little bit out of sync with the higher risk profile in the market, given with what you're having with the geopolitical uh, scenario around the world. But biotech's working. You start you still continue to see the semiconductor sector continuing to work. And those are other things that are on my radar at this point in time. I don't think that the geopolitical problems and, and the election year and everything else is going to do anything at this point to slow down this equity bull market. Hence why I'm looking for 3600 for the S&P for 2020. Just a quick question from our chat. I don't know if you have an answer, but do you have, uh, are you watching the, the 5G trend at all? We are watching the 5G trend. And uh, again, there's, plenty of ways of playing the 5G trend, um, uh, but I, I think the 5G trend is going to be a clear theme that investors are going to be focused on. I think the semiconductor companies, I mean, Taiwan Semiconductor and a lot of these other areas should definitely benefit from, from the 5G trend. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely going to buy a 5G phone when it comes out from Apple, you know, but yep. I, I think it's going to be an exciting new trend to play. All right, we've been on the line with Craig Johnson, Managing Director of Technical Market Strategist at Piper Sandler. Craig, thanks so much for the time today. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you later on in the year. Thank you. Thanks, right. Greg. I guess before we like, uh, you know, when we have people in the green room and we, we have analysts and we're talking about analysts. <laughs> that was a pretty tough <laughs> I conversation I had prior to Craig coming on, but <laughs> we were a- not saying anything about Craig. We were no, just saying no, analysts no. in general. I just want more simplicity. What I was really arguing for, and they have a really difficult job, but what I was really arguing for is I don't like this Needham note today where I see (laughs) strong buy to buy and you raise your price target. Is it downgrade or upgrade? It's just confusing. I just want to see more simplicity in the notes. Buy it or sell it. What do I do? You know, what is your opinion? Are you bullish or bearish? I don't need to know, you know, that you're a little bit more bullish than you were yesterday or a little bit more bearish, but you're still bearish, but maybe you're bullish. It just gets confusing. So I'm just, just arguing for simplicity right, in the notes. I, I got He's talking about conflicts. Oh, That's all there, too. Up. makes it their job difficult. Yeah. You're going to go yeah, spend yeah. your ass fighter for I, you. I got here. one more for you, Dennis. Uh, are, 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 are you looking at what I'm looking at? RBC? No, I just oh, can tell. Okay. You're, you're, what do you uh, got for me? Salesforce.com today is catching an upgrade from RBC. For the upgrade from Outperform to their top pick. It is the top pick. CRM. I mean, is this an actual upgrade or is it just, you know, the way we're no, no, it's an, in, I'm not making this interpreting up. as an upgrade. Maybe no, no, it's I'm not, not an actual I'm not making upgrade. it up, but that is an actual upgrade. Yeah. Upgrade to top pick. So that we're upgrading it to our top pick. We're raising the price target from 200 to 215. I mean, is there, yeah, you're already bullshit. So you're a little bit more. They, ra- they raised the price target on that one. So that, yeah, it's not as confusing not- as the one that the one that I was confused on was where we're going from strong buy to buy, but we're raising our price target 70 points. Well, it sounds to me like you're bullish. <laughs> so I don't understand why, you know, if, if it's a, if it's a buy, 
then why not? Well, I guess because maybe Apple's way ahead of you know, you know where their price target was. Well, not though. If you think it's going to 350, it sounds like a pretty strong buy to me. So that's why I didn't, you know, you know about that one. The RBC, at least they're bullish. You know, at least you know they they raised the price target and you know they didn't you know go we're we're not as bullish as we were, but we're still raising a price target. There's not that conflict there within the rating itself. But anyway, sometimes these things can be really confusing. Uh, did anybody uh, catch the Golden Globes last night? Uh, I, I watched a little bit. Yeah. I heard good uh, things. The Irishman yeah. got shut out, huh? A lot of nominations, but uh, uh, yeah, no the, the part that I saw, the part that I watched, they did not win. They did yeah. not win anything. Okay. That movie was too long. Probably the people <laughs> didn't uh, didn't watch the whole thing. But uh, you have. Who Netflix. was the big? Was there any other Netflix like? Uh... Netflix, Netflix got shut out. No, 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 they didn't. They didn't get shut Netflix out. Netflix won two awards, but it's telling. Even though they didn't win a whole lot, they got nominated for like half the awards. So that's a bit of an exaggeration, but they got nominated. They they got the most nominations, so it's still telling of that they got okay. the most nominations. This they Netflix. Won a lot, I, but... I just want to say I have been on the bear train here for Netflix for a while, and I stayed on the bear train too long. I have no position. I haven't had a position on it. Sometimes I trade it you know, on a day trading basis, but in the long-term portfolio, I haven't had it you know, long or short. But I just look at the price action here, and it's just telling me that you know I've been wrong. I mean, the valuation is still nosebleed. I don't get it why, like it, why it gets a pass all the time, um, but Maybe the streaming is there's still going to be the place to stream. And if you're looking at it from that perspective, um, we are going to streaming. You know, maybe we lose a few. You know, maybe it doesn't have the growth it does. But uh, even when I'm looking, you know, at the Disney Plus, and, you know, I was a rah rah Disney, rah rah Disney Plus. But the one thing about Disney, and I wanted to say this on Friday and get a chance to say it, and I am long Disney in the long term portfolio uh, for a lot of reasons, but I just look at it and you know what? They're, they need to come out with new content, man. And maybe we did say this on Friday, but the content, I, I've been on Disney Plus for two months here now. My kids still love it because they're, you know, flying through all their shows and all these shows they haven't seen. But I look at it and I'm like, they just don't have a lot of new content on there. So I watched The Mandalorian, which was awesome. And they're going to be on there next year. But then I was even looking like, what's coming out? Like Netflix is coming out with new stuff all the time. Way more content. Maybe it's, maybe it's not quite as good, some of it. But they come out with way more stuff. I mean, if Disney Plus really wants to make a go of this, they got to come out with way, way more content because I could see how this could actually get, um, you know, people could get unsubscribed to this in a hurry. Well, just the, the content being stale. The difference is that Disney is a movie studio and Netflix really isn't in the traditional sense. Netflix has more new stuff coming to the platform, but Disney their overall content spend is way more because they have a studio. They're bringing films to theaters as well. But so, I'm just saying just on their Disney plus product. Right. You but know, you people are paying, you know, $90 or a hundred dollars a year right. for this thing. I'm not sure you're going to keep getting a ton of subscribers if you don't have new content feeding into that all the time. And they're coming out with some new content, but it's limited. Like when I go on there now, it's like, it's basically 98% the same from what it was two months ago. So, you know, it's good that they did The Mandalorian and that was coming out every week and I was excited to watch that every week and it was awesome. Um, and they do have some other shows and there is some stuff, there is some new content coming, but it seems like they get, you know, one, here's a little drop of a new piece of, a, you know, a content like once a week. I mean, Netflix coming out with new stuff all the time. So I think they need to get some more content on there if they're really going to challenge netflix in the streaming wars and this disney plus product is going to be a challenge for netflix they got to get way more content and you know what that makes me actually bullet more bullish netflix 
So I'm going, you know, I don't do ratings on the show here, but I've been on the bear train of Netflix for a while. And I started getting bearish right around this price, 320, went down to 250, and it's come all the way back up here. And, you know, normally you probably should just stick with it. But I think I'd rather just be neutral. If I was doing ratings, I don't do ratings, but I think I'm changing my own view of Netflix to more neutral here. I can't get along. I can't get on board because the valuation still nosebleed. But I can see that the first from this Disney Plus product is, I don't think it's as, you know, and more competitions come. There's going to be other stuff as well. And that's not going to help Netflix. But I don't think Disney Plus is that big of a threat to Netflix right now. And I you thought know, it was two months ago. But from what I can see, I don't think it's as big a, a, a threat to them as I thought it could be. Do you know whose sentiments you're echoing here a little bit? Who? Uh, we had... Um... Uh, we had Gene Munster on. Uh, was Gene Netflix. saying the same thing? Well, he was just saying that, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to be bearish Netflix because he thought that that, you know, subscriber growth was still going to be pretty strong this year. And they got the China going on. And they got the China. They got a lot of places. Expand. Yeah. So he wasn't, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't want to hop on, on the bearish train, at least for two, you know, and he likes to take a, a longer term perspective on things. So he thought the content, so that's kind of, you know, he didn't want to, he didn't want to say, hey, I, yeah, I'm bearish. The con- you know, the, they're going to be losing out in the streaming wars. But he still sees some, uh, you know, some residual gains in subscrip- subscriptions. When that starts to tail off, then I think you can get your bare hat on this thing when they have a significant decline or they start revi- revising downwards. But I know this is a total off tangent, Dennis, but we're talking about content. Do you know that there's a Peppa Pig world at uh, Global Crossing? <laughs> Where is Peppa Pig world? Yeah, yes. Because uh, he knows that because I sent him a picture. Uh, you did? Yeah. Uh, Dennis, when I was there. Uh, where is this? Day. Where? Where is it? Great Lakes Crossing in the Auburn Peppa Hills. Peppa Pig world. Oh, I can take my kid there to Peppa Pig I, I sent you a picture when I was there on uh, Labor Day. I texted you the, the outside of the store or whatever. I don't oh, know. Spencer, you were inside the store. What are the rides? Outside. I didn't, I didn't go <laughs> in. It was a long line. I was going to The kids out. have stopped watching Peppa Pig. They've moved on. They got the Disney Plus thing, and they're not watching okay. Peppa Pig okay. anymore. All right, I just I, I heard it's that. Funny how they just it. cycle through stuff, but they're not watching as much Peppa Pig as they were a, a couple months ago. Are you downgrading they've, Peppa Pig? You know what? They watch them all, and then they've exhausted, it and then they move on. <laughs> this okay. is the way the life of a four or five year old and the two year old. They like a certain thing, and they watch it to death. You know, we watched Frozen the first one, got to watch it fifty times, and then they're done with it. So it's like when you, you know, when you get a new song, new song comes on the radio, you're like, I love that song. I got to listen to it like 25 times a day. And then it goes on for about two weeks. And you're like, I never want to hear that song again. That's kind of like the way they cycle through the movies. They want to watch this movie so many times, so many times. And then and all of a sudden, it's just like a, you flip a switch. And it's like, I never want to watch that show again. That's what I worry about the Disney Plus product. You're bringing it right back to that is that there's all the same stuff on there all the time. And it's like, I go on there, I was like, well, there's not that much new. So I was watching, I found myself watching all these cool shows that I had, like Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse was someone I liked when I was a kid. And I flipped that on and I'm watching it with my kids. And I was like, oh, this is really good. But unless they can continue to come out with new content. So it was awesome when it first came out. But after two months of being on Disney Plus a lot, I started watching Netflix again. Because you know why? There's more content and newer content. I was like, oh, there's some new stuff here. So, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm like a primary consumer of content here and a good example. And this is why I'm taking away my bearish stance on Netflix. Not getting bullish because of nosebleed valuations too much for me, but I'm going to be full bearish here because I don't think the Disney Plus, con- uh, the Disney Plus product is as much of a threat. So, and I, you know, I circled back to that conversation, but I think it's important 
because I think there's a lot of people that, you know, and me, myself included in the last couple of months, believing that Disney and everybody's going to give them a run. And I'm looking at it now. It's like, I'm not as confident in that opinion as I was two months ago. Okay. So. All right. We have a minute left here, Spencer. We had a lot of content here to cover. Is there a- well, there's a few things we didn't get to. I'll just sure. run, run through them quickly. Uh, Xerox got, uh, up to $24 billion in financing to fund an acquisition of HPQ. Did they agree to it when I was no, gone? No. Okay. No. But right. they, they, just... they, the question was how they're going to afford to do this. Exactly. Now that okay. Question. So HPQ looking like it could go off the board here soon, although nothing confirmed yet. Nah, uh, yeah, whatever. HPQ. I, I, even if they got financing for it, I do not think that HPQ is going to go for a deal getting bought by Xerox. I just think they're going to reject it. So I okay. even, you know, Xerox is trying their hardest to buy HPQ. I do not think that HPQ is going to go for it. So I don't even think we're close to being at the end of this. Story. At least it's not the, the prices they were. And talking. the reason I sold my HPQ, I had HPQ. I bought it after that earnings report down to the 17. I sold it at 20. The reason I sold it is because I was nervous that, Xerox, that HPQ flips the script and goes and makes a hostile bid for Xerox back. And then HPQ stock would get killed on that. So that's what I was nervous about potentially happening. And Fox Business reported that that was, you know, a possibility as well. That was a couple of months ago after all, the, you know, a month ago. But that's what made me nervous. I think it was Gasparino was tweeting out that, hey, this could go the other way. And I was like, ooh, I don't like those, that possibility, especially after I'm sitting on this huge gain from HPQ after the big pop-up from the Xerox, uh, you know, or the Xerox bid before. So I think we have a long ways to go in this uh, before we get, you know, some a conclusion here on what's going to happen with HPQ and Xerox. All right. Quiet, uh, quiet pre-market session here over the last hour, not much range in the S and P 500 futures, at least, at least during the show. Uh, but uh, for today's session, for the remainder of the session, I'll be looking at uh, to clear mid range. Let's call it 3220, not far from there. And there you're going to get back uh, your pre-market high. I think for really to, to make the bulls for the bulls to be in control today, I don't necessarily have to like end green here because we are off 18 handles, but man, they fought it off on Friday. They rallied it back, kind of hitting it again on similar news today. So, Hey, let's, you know, let's close above where we're at here. Get back up, you know, 32 and a quarter, 32, 30, not looking for any major uh, continuation on the downside. Last week's low 32, 06, 75, we hit 0.875 last night. Remember, we had that outside day on Friday. Uh, new all-time high, I believe, new all-time high was made at 63.50. That was in the after-hours sessions. And then you also had your weekly low. That was done in the after-hours, too. So uh, nice setups from Friday. We'll see how the market reacts today with the negative news. All right, I want to thank today's guest, Craig Johnson. Thanks to all of you in both of our chats, both on YouTube and premarket.benzinga.com. You can always catch our podcast or the replay of our show on any podcast platform, at least the main ones, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or just rewatch our show on YouTube. Please remember, all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes only and not for investing or trading advice. Everyone have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you on Tuesday.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.